Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of April 15th, Q2 Spread Outlook. I'm your host, Dan Creator, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss how the fundamental and technical picture is likely to evolve during the second quarter and what it will mean for both credit and swap spreads. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, then we're here today to deliver our second quarter market outlook. Unfortunately, it is already April 15th, so we've lost the first half of the first month here, but we were off last week with a monthly macro roundtable. So, uh, I guess this will be our outlook for the rest of the second quarter. And as we sit here today, credit spreads are either at or very, very near uh, cyclical lows of 87, 88 basis points, depending on which index you're looking at. So let's just say we're at cyclical lows. But whether or not we're at all-time lows, I'm not sure that that's the actual story. I think actually the more predominant theme is that spreads have really not been moving very much in the month of April so far. Yeah, so far there's been very little volatility. Uh, since the calendar turned to April, spreads have been pretty directionless. They've ground slightly narrower, but that's really happened on light volumes, light supply. We've seen modestly better performance by higher beta sectors, but nothing very extreme. It's about what you would expect, and there's been little disparity across different sectors. You know, the broad index hasn't moved by more than one basis point in absolute terms on any day in April so far. But the index is two basis points narrower on the month, and that's been kind of consistent with our view that we laid out in our last episode when we made the case for wider versus narrower spreads, which was that you know, absent a strong widening impulse in credit, spreads were likely to just grind narrower without much conviction. And I think that's exactly what we've seen. And I think you made a key point there. On pretty light flows, uh, last week, Friday, we saw the lowest volume change hands in the secondary market so far in 2021 of any day. And they've come off those lows, but volume remains on the light end of the year-to-date range. And I think that's a pretty important indicator of just a lack of conviction out there. I mean, certainly anecdotally in our conversations with clients, you're starting to see more and more balk at the outright spread level and really wondering how much upside potential is there really in credit spreads. And we're certainly sympathetic to that view. Our listeners know that despite our expectation for more of a steady grind narrower in the near term, that we're neutral on credit spreads here because it's really hard to make a case for credit spreads to move significantly narrower in the near term where there is a scenario where if this reflation trade is reignited, obviously that's not happening today. We have a pretty significant treasury rally going on today, which is helpful for spreads. But uh, if that were to change, you could envision a scenario where spreads sort of move wider in a quick fashion. So I think you summed it up well. I mean, low conviction, low trading volumes, and this this grind narrower seems to be the environment we're in now. But now let's maybe broaden things out a little bit and look where we expect spreads to go over the remainder of the quarter. Obviously, Dan, in the last six months, we've seen a significant improvement in the fundamental view, uh, not just from an economic perspective with vaccines and the like, but also in just credit specifically, we've seen uh, much more ratings upgrades and, and, and things of that nature. 
giving a boost to credit on the fundamental side. How do you see fundamentals shaping up for the rest of the second quarter? Yeah, so there's been a lot of optimism priced in this year, and we don't see that changing very much in the second quarter. I think there will be short-lived bouts of you know concerns over inflation and maybe some data misses to the downside, but it's likely that the data is going to continue to come in in a positive manner, and it's unlikely that we're going to see a serious threat to this pricing in of a strong recovery. You talked about rating upgrades, and that's something we've seen fairly consistently over the past six months or so. And I think as a more positive business environment is priced into corporate debt, credit concerns are going to remain very low. And obviously, that's going to be positive for spreads. But the question to me is how much of this is already priced in and how much more can fundamentals really drag credit spreads narrower? That's certainly the key issue in my view as well. And I just don't think we're going to get that kind of clarity over the rest of the second quarter. Uh, I mean, even looking just domestically, the expectation here is that the majority of adults will have at least one vaccine shot by May. But if that leads to, you know, there's a two-week waiting period after each shot. So if that means that, you know, things, quote unquote, go back to normal maybe in June, uh, at the earliest, we're not going to have any data to measure the strength of the economic reopening uh, before July at the earliest. And then even at that point, we're still going to be trying to gauge the impact that stimulus has had. At some point, stimulus is going to fade. Ostensibly, the $1.9 trillion package passed by President Biden in the beginning of the year is likely the last stimulus program unless an infrastructure program goes through. So there's going to be some transition over away from stimulus into the regular economy. I guess, you know, just cut to the chase. What I'm saying here is that we're really not going to be able to know how strong the economic recovery is here during the second quarter in either direction. So it's difficult for me to see how you're going to have a lot more optimism price in, uh, which would be higher rates and likely higher spreads. But at the same time, I don't see how that optimism is going to fade which would maybe be more supportive of spreads as we descend back into the, the yield grab type environment. In fact, you know, if treasury rates do move significantly lower from here, it would likely be because, you know, quote unquote, something happened. We've seen some bad news on the vaccine. Obviously, around the world, the, the vaccine rollout has been very low. COVID cases have been very, very high in recent weeks. So if there is this flight to quality and, and, and rates move significantly lower, you know, I'm talking back down to the 120 or or below territory. Um, tough to envision credit spreads like performing in that environment. That's not a yield grab type of environment. That is a, that's a flight to quality where, where spreads would typically underperform. So it, it's just hard to see a significant move either way, which leads to this neutral view that we've been maintaining for a month now. I, I think that's really from a fundamental perspective. That's the view that's going to remain mostly in place for the second quarter as we just sort of remain in this wait and see mode. And if that's the case, if, if fundamentals are neutral, then I think technicals are going to take on a, a lot higher of importance. And that's what we've been harping on for the past couple of weeks. And you know, now we said at the beginning of the podcast, we're down to the cyclical low in credit spreads or maybe at it. And I think a big portion of that has been an improvement in technicals. Obviously, the sell-off in treasury rates has slowed down and actually gone the other way. We've rallied all the way from about 175 intraday, now down to 155 today. And- also, investor-grade corporate supply has slowed significantly after the record pace of Q1. And on the demand side, we've seen consistent inflows into fixed income funds, investment-grade funds more specifically. Just this morning, we had BlackRock out with a $60 billion inflow in fixed income funds, $44 billion of which was in passive funds. So we've seen a pretty significant net improvement in technicals here in just the last month. And therefore, it's not really a surprise to see spreads at the narrow end of the trading range. My question now is, let's look at technicals, you know, from a high level over the rest of the second quarter, and let's look at, you know, IG and high yield 
and even the SSA market because we've had, you know, divergent technicals in all three of those markets that could really have an impact on on the performance of each asset class. So uh, why don't we start with the biggest, uh, IGs? And Dan, why don't you give us um, an overview on on what you're expecting in terms of IG supply uh, for the rest of the second quarter and what's happened so far, actually? Yeah, so after a near-record first quarter, it's, it was the third heaviest quarter on record, only behind the second and third quarters of last year, supply in the IG market has really slowed in April. So through two weeks, we've had just about $32 billion in issuance, and that's likely going to fall pretty well short of the forecast $100 billion for the month of April. We're expecting supply to come back in later on in the month and the quarter, and we're still expecting about $350 billion in gross issuance in the second quarter. We are maintaining our call for $1.2 trillion in issuance over the course of 2021. And given the strong supply that we saw in the first quarter, we could see moderate issuance at times this year and still reach that that target of a pretty heavy $1.2 trillion in supply. And we think that's what's going to happen. Now, moving out into the high yield market, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition here where high yield supply is still at or around record pace in April. I think as of this morning, high yield supply for the month of April is right around in line with IG supply. And you don't see that very often, just given the different sizes of those two markets. That's an interesting point you make on how heavy high yield issuance has been compared to IG. My question for you, though, is how have spreads performed given the divergent technicals in these two markets over the past couple of weeks? We've seen modest narrowing in both markets. I wouldn't say either one has outperformed the other. High yield spreads have, have rallied a little bit harder than than IG, but that's probably to be expected given the continued improvement in fundamentals we've seen. So, okay, so the argument there is that given the economic backdrop, we maybe would have expected to see high yield spreads outperforming a little bit more were it not for the divergent technicals. I think I can buy that story. So, I guess the interesting question becomes: now that we have, you know, such heavy issuance and high yield, while IG supply is slowing down, how is this disparity going to be corrected? Are we going to see? high yield supply start to slow down or is IG supply going to pick up or can the divergence sort of be sustained for a while here? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. So that's the big question, I think, as it relates to the IG market. And you could make the argument that IG supply is going to remain quiet here for the foreseeable future, even if we don't necessarily buy that. But just for the sake of discussion, you know, high yield supply has been lagging IG basically since the onset of the pandemic. It's been a couple months behind the IG market, just as it took a while for issuance markets to really reopen in high yield after the Fed stepped in as a backstop to the investment grade market. So you could see as IG issuers have borrowed a lot of cash, you could see those cash needs being met in the high yield market just a little bit later than IG. I think that's a possibility. So to me, that comes off as sort of the optimistic case that, you know, you just had stress conditions in the high yield market for longer than IGs. So they were just behind the curve. IGs have now raised the money they needed to raise and high yield will do so in the weeks and months ahead. And then issuance and high yield will start to fall. Another way of looking at sort of the same phenomenon is also that because the capital markets reopened to IGs earlier than high yield, IGs were able to build up a much larger war chest of liquidity, you know, to weather the economic storm that was coming from the pandemic. And as the months have gone on and cash continues to burn, uh, if revenue streams don't come back in quite the way that they were expecting or you're not as robustly as, as maybe they were expecting, 
uh, you know, they may have to come back to the market, in which case, you know, we'd expect to see IG supply come back up uh, with high yield staying heavy as well. And I think, you know, again, it comes back to the, the, the robustness of the economic recovery. And, and that scenario strikes me as just uh, maybe a bit more realistic than high yield issuance falling significantly in the near term. Of course, that said, there is also an, an argument to be made that maybe this disparity is more fundamental in nature, given the way the market has evolved since the pandemic. Yeah, Dan, I think that's a good point. And I think it's probably more likely that the slowdown in IG supply is probably more of just a blip in the radar. We might be making a little bit much out of just two to three weeks of slower issuance. Remember, IG supply in March was over 200 billion, which is you know, the second heaviest on record behind last year. But moving back to your last point about fundamentals, it's possible that balance sheet management is playing a role here. There's still a fairly steep cost to fallen angel status, which keeps triple B's probably somewhat wary of issuing a lot more debt. And that's one reason to think that this divergence could persist for this foreseeable future. The IG market is now mostly populated with triple B's. We've seen a fair number of downgrades from A to triple B in the past couple months. And that's likely due to some extent to the tight spreads between triple B's and, and single A issuers. But when you move further down the credit spectrum from triple B to double B, well, that's where it starts to become a little bit more costly. And so that could be partially to blame for the slower issuance. And then moving further out the credit spectrum, most of the issuance in high yields has come from the double B's. Um, and that's one reason to expect that this divergence could persist over time. You raise really interesting points about what the market is telling borrowers and what isn't isn't valued from a balance sheet prudence standpoint. And I think you might be onto something there. So we'll see if the, if this disparity continues for a while here, you know, there's a couple takeaways. I think first it, it goes to show uh, the dynamic that you just laid out, but also that we should expect to see IG start to outperform high yield. Even if we haven't seen that so far, uh, you know, IG supply has really just started to slow down. So it might take a, a little while for the disparity to really start showing up in spreads, especially given how much higher high yield that uh, trades over IGs in the first place. And, you know, just to also hammer home the point on the importance of technicals with spreads at such low absolute levels, I think it's worthwhile to spend a minute just talking about the SSA sector here, which is really a tale of two halves in the first quarter. We saw record pace of supply in January and February, and, and during those months, as that supply was digested, we saw spreads start to leak wider. But then in March, suddenly, unseasonably very light issuance. We had just $12 billion worth of issuance come in all of March. And at the same time, March 2021 was actually the largest month of redemptions in the SSA market that we have on record. And combining those two factors, we had the most net negative issuance of any month in the history of the SSA market in our data, obviously extremely supportive for credit spreads. And then it's perhaps not surprising that we saw SSA spreads really outperform during March, both you know treasuries and swaps, but also compared to other credit alternatives, even IGs, uh, you know, peak to trough SSA outperformed by 10 basis points at the short end, which is a pretty significant move for the asset class. So clearly technicals are playing a significant role there. And I want to highlight that really quickly because SSA supply has been extremely, extremely heavy so far in April through the first two weeks. We're on pace for a record April. In fact, the pace is almost 50% ahead of April of 2020, which is a record. We're 50% ahead of that pace. So issuance could slow down, but it looks like we're well on our way to a record April here uh, in the SSA market. 
and we've seen the return of at least a modicum of concession. You know, I wouldn't say the concession is there in every deal. It's not. But where when we went from the beginning of the year, when when concessions were zero or negative in, in basically every deal, that's not the case anymore. There's still plenty of zero and negative deals coming to market, but there are a few where you're still getting two, three basis points in concession for the large jumbo, you know, $5 billion benchmark, what have you. And that could start to spill over into credit spreads as well. So looking over... The entirety of the second quarter, I think obviously SSA supply is going to slow from the record pace of the first two weeks, but it will remain relatively elevated, at least compared to historicals. So, you know, when you're looking across different asset classes for where you see the most supportive technicals right now, I think that's in the IG space. So we've been favoring this credit barbell strategy with SSAs at the top of the credit curve and then looking down the triple Bs. I think that the attractiveness of the SSA sector has has gone down a little bit in the last couple of weeks, both because of how much outperformance it's enjoyed, but also the fact that issuance is starting to come back. So, you know, maybe looking to take some of the profits in SSA positions and implemented during Q1 and looking further out the curve towards triple Bs, where we think for the reasons that Belton just laid out, uh, triple Bs may need to exercise a little bit more balance sheet prudence since falling out of investment grade still does have a punitive impact on on borrowing costs, uh, that, that supply might stay pretty low there in the triple B segment. And you still have at least, not a lot, but you still have some upward potential coming from economic reopening and, 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 and you know, optimism surrounding vaccines and things of that nature. So that's where we favor uh, focusing investment, you know, for the rest of Q2 based off of a, a very range-bound technical trading environment. Dan, one more thing to like about triple Bs here is we've talked a lot about how we're not going to get much clarity on the fundamental side of things this quarter. Well, in a continued sort of directionless trading environment, I think we could very likely see a yield grab take place here, and that would benefit some of the higher spread products. We would likely continue to see inflows into investment grade funds as we've seen for the past, you know, pretty much 52 weeks at this point. That would likely just lead to more spread compression. Yeah, well, today's Treasury move, I'm looking at Bloomberg now, it just continues unabated. Uh, that would certainly lend credence to the notion that we could have a, a bit of a reach for yield in the second quarter. I'm not convinced yet, but uh, this Treasury rally has surprised me from the get-go. So maybe we will settle into a bit of a lower rate environment than I was uh, personally expecting. Okay, Dan, so quickly before wrapping up, I think we should at least take a moment to mention swap spreads. Uh, we've had quite the move narrower here in the last, what, just week and a half. Uh, spreads are two to six basis points narrower across the curve led by the long end, which are tied by five or six. And, you know, in terms of drivers, it's sort of hard to find one. I don't see uh, much that's changed on a fundamental perspective that would indicate spreads should be narrowing this significantly. I mean, I've heard the argument that it could be convexity hedging related, at least up until today. I wasn't buying that uh, today, obviously, uh, makes you think twice about it. But still, I don't think the move narrower has been sufficient to really unleash a lot of convexity hedging. So to me, it seems like the move is more technical in nature. Yeah, I agree. It seems like maybe it was the case that given the severity of that sell-off in treasury yields, the widening and swap spreads might have been a little bit overdone in this move we see narrower could have been something of a reversal of that widening. I think that's probably a factor, but might not explain all of the narrowing we've seen. Well, to that point, I want to highlight, you know, we talked about earlier in the podcast, so heavy SSA supply has been, and SSA supply in particular can have a pretty important impact on swap spreads, given that all SSA supply is swapped and it comes in the 10-year sector or shorter. So, you know, certainly supply has been more heavy than expected 
and dealers might still be working off some of that exposure. And now look at where we are on the earnings cycle. The big U.S. banks will be coming out of blackouts here. Actually, starting today, we see J.P. Morgan in the market with a jumbo deal this morning uh, and other domestics likely to follow. So it's just likely to me that there's this technical buildup of issuance-related receiving that has likely pushed options lower and also in the process probably rinsed out a couple speculative longs. And also, you know, it's worth mentioning that bank HQLA holding periods are typically about three months. So, you know, three months ago was January when swap spreads were much narrower. And so we might be starting to see some profit taking in some of those bank trades enacted in January that would likely be uh, significantly in the money, especially given uh, where swap spreads were toward the upper end of the range and starting to come in. There may have been some profit taking there for fear of missing the boat. So it's been somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy started by issuance. And then some of those other factors also playing a role in the narrowing. But I think the important point is you know, from a high level, last Tuesday in our written work, we actually recommended looking to sell uh, swap spreads. And, and our long-term view has been we preferred wideners. But early last week, you know, when spreads hit the upper end of the year-to-date range, it was like, okay, maybe it's time to take some profit here on that position because no matter what, the outlook for swap spreads is likely to be range-bound with short rates, you know, still anchored by the Fed at very, very low and, and unlikely to move significantly from there. So you just have to, you know, play the range and buy at the lows and sell at the highs. So if, if that logic applied last week when we were at the top of the range, I think we can apply the same logic in reverse this time. You know, spreads have now reached the, the low end of the year-to-date trading range this morning on the back of what we think is a pretty technical move. So, you know, looking to set longs and swap spreads here would likely prove to be a profitable trade at current levels here, just given the sharpness of the move we've seen in the past week and a half. That said, the, the wild card out there remains SLR. We know the Fed is working on a permanent rule addressing the SLR. We don't know what that is, and it could either influence swap spreads upwards or downwards, depending on what is ultimately exempted from SLR calculations. But, you know, what's going to be exempted in the timeline for that rule remains extremely uncertain. So, uh, you know, that could definitely change the range. But uh, setting that aside for now, I think range-bound trading and looking to add at current levels after the technical move uh, is a good idea. Dan, anything else you think we should mention before uh, wrapping this episode up? No, I think that covers it. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. 
Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 